0: Schlegel and Michael Reynolds on behalf of appellants. I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. May it please the court. The dissemination of confidential firearm owner information to third parties violates the constitutional rights of millions of Californians. The right to privacy is at its apex, whereas here the government collects and compiles detailed personal information concerning the exercise of a fundamental constitutional right. AB 173's command that the California Department of Justice disseminate this confidential information to third parties without, a, excuse me, <clears throat> without requiring a showing of need or imposing any mitigation standards is unprecedented. It is a grave violation of privacy, Second Amendment rights, and fundamental due process. Also, the kind of information that we've indicated is highly sensitive. Um, typically involve medical information, substance abuse information. Um, that that sort of um, uh, that sort of information. That's that highly um, uh, highly sensitive information. How is how is your address, your phone number? How is that the same? Or, or can you point me to a case where we we've, we've held that that is highly sensitive information? Uh, Yes, sir, I'll point you to a couple of cases uh, and a couple of concepts. First is that the Supreme Court has recognized in Nixon that the the constitutional privacy interest is at base uh, about a legitimate expectation of privacy because it really derives from the substantive due process formulation based on the Fourth Amendment's conception of privacy. Um, And then in uh, Department of Justice versus Reporters Commission – Uh, Which I think is a a very helpful case in the privacy context. Um, The Supreme Court distinguished between the uh, difference between scattered bits of information that might be in the public record um, and a a neat compilation by the government, and the heightened privacy interest that it hears when the government compiles the information. And so, there, uh, the FBI rap sheets uh, that, that were at issue, the court recognized that there's a particular power of compilations to affect personal privacy that outstrips the combined power of the bits of the information contained within. And I think that 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 privacy interest is is at its apex, whereas here the information does inherently relate to the exercise. of the government um, compiles the information and disseminates that, uh, in this case it was to a research company, um, you're saying that there's um, this heightened privacy that, that occurs. Yes, Your Honor. I think that the Supreme Court's precedents
1: recognize that interest. In, in are, you an, are you making an analogy between the information that was uh, provided here and rap sheets?
0: Uh, not necessarily, Your
1: Honor. I think this, so. The particular situation that was presented in the Department of
0: Justice case was about FOIA exemption 7c, which uh, which recognizes an exemption to disclosure for information <laughs> that might pose a material risk uh, of privacy to the individual. And so it was interesting in in my view because notwithstanding uh, the fact that the criminal information is elsewhere in the public database, which was what uh, the the people who were seeking the information pointed out in that case, that was the crux of their argument was this information is public elsewhere. And and the Supreme Court first turning to the basic informational right to privacy, which it held Congress was was recognizing this very uh, inherent concern when it enacted FOIA. um, So the court recognized that this FOIA exemption was based on the constitutional right to privacy. And and the sensitive nature of a criminal background. Well, no, not necessarily, Your Honor. I think that um, actually other precedents and precedents in the Supreme Court recognize that there is not necessarily um, an inherent privacy interest in in criminal records. It depends on on the circumstances and what, what state law is. So in that particular case, the court did admittedly point out that there were only two states that allowed disclosure, but it expressly disclaimed to base its opinion on, on that notion, rather it emphasized... That's okay. Does that informational rights of privacy survive Dobbs? I, I believe so, yes, Your Honor. Why? because I think it's still incorporated it, it, either through the substantive due process or the incorporation doctrine. So the incorporation doctrine in, uh, in McDonald versus Chicago, the Supreme Court recognized that the Second Amendment is a fundamental right incorporated the concept of due process. So the does not that. yeah go ahead if you go, go ahead and make your top it. So, 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 Dobbs doesn't overturn kind of Justice Douglas's decades-long pursuit to create this, this general, you know, right to privacy through the emanations and penumbras, uh, you know, most prominently in Griswold first. Uh, but you know, Gris- So that would be the first thing I'd note about Dobbs: the court did not overturn the substantive due process precedents. Um, And as Griswold recognizes, certain enumerated constitutional rights create a zone of privacy in which they can be exercised. And so I think that the notion of substantive due process and the incorporation doctrine, which is very similar to substantive due process, both are based on the concept that a liberty that is implicit in our society and implicit in the Constitution's text um, can be applicable to the states and must be recognized. Well, here we have a fundamental enumerated right. And so, I think... You're talking about on. the Second Amendment, right. I'm talking about the Second Amendment, right? I mean, can we go to that? All right. So Can
1: I ask can I, the way I see it is you're making three Second Amendment injury arguments.
0: And let, let me know if this is correct. One, you're saying the fact that the information is going to the third party is injury itself. The second is that the the, the information going to the third party could then leak to the public, which would create another injury. And the third is that uh, your your client's rights are chilled because of the fact that it could potentially, the information could potentially go out into the public. Is is that how, is that correct how you're uh, alleging your second amendment injuries? Mm -hmm. Generally, yes, sir. I would slightly reframe the chilling argument, but yes. And how how would you uh, reframe the chilling argument? I think that the disclosure to the third parties in the first instance, particularly given the nature of what it's being disclosed for and the breadth of the disclosure, is itself something that creates the, the chilling, not necessarily that it will be more broadly publicly disclosed. That's certainly a risk, but I don't think that that is a dispositive risk. And then on the, on the chilling argument, as I read the complaint, it seems like the government already has all the information for your clients. That's correct your honor. And has that information already been turned over to the, the third party researchers? as we don't know the extent to which as we I believe there was evidence adduced in the district court, of course outside the pleadings um, and on the motion for preliminary mm-hmm. being chilled if the government if the third party already has information well it, it wasn't publicly known uh, for, first of all, I would say your honor and then, and then also mm-hmm. not publicly known. So it was not known that this information before before AB 173, and, and I think the government's going to push back against this, which I can explain going back to 2016, but I think it was not publicly known until AB 173 was enacted that this information was being shared with any third-party researchers at any research yeah, institution. No, I, I get that, but how are they being chilled today, if knowing that the third-party researchers already have their information so as I, as I understand it, and, again, this is something that evidence wasn't wasn't produced on. So, as, but as I understand how the mechanism works, is that uh, essentially the researchers are given access to these databases uh, to use. So I don't know that it's a it's a total offloading of the information to them per se. Um, I think the state would be able to speak more to the to how that procedure works. But in other words, I'm, I'm distinguishing between physical possession versus is a, digi- a digital possession or access to it. But because as of today, it seems like they have access to your client's information. Well, I, I would know that they, they were enjoined for a period of time, um, and, and it's unclear to, which, uh, to the extent to which they've accessed um, that information. But I, I would say that the, the standing access to complete a broad range of research that is not necessarily tethered to the state's interest, and which particularly the statute doesn't test against the state's interest, is... Um, Itself fun, you know, is a fundamental violation of both the Second Amendment and of, of the informational privacy. So, I think that that, that chilling the chilling concept is relevant, and I, and I also think related to the informational privacy claim. I think that when we look at when we look at chilling, the Supreme Court's extended the doctrine uh, both in relation to positively exercised First Amendment rights and. You know, before Dobbs, when, it was, when abortion was recognized as a fundamental right through the substantive due, clause, due process clause, the Supreme Court in situations very analogous to this has recognized that even the mere uh, possibility of information being publicly exposed, um, or being exposed is a strong word, I would actually say being becoming potentially available to the public was enough. To impose a burden on the exercise of the Second Amendment right through the chilling. And the court's been very clear that it does not tolerate uh, indirect attacks on the exercise of fundamental rights
1: through efforts to chill them. So, the sensitive information that you're concerned about is what? Everything in the database, Your Honor. I, I think that the
0: compilation, the, the creation of the record by the government itself, and this is, I'd go back to the Department of Justice versus Reporters Commission case. Is that the act of the government creating the compilation of a record of information that might otherwise be scattered about and not centralized presents a particular privacy risk, but also creates a specific privacy interest in the individual because that record is being created, and that's precisely it's not the dissemination,
1: it's the it's
0: it's it's the compilation. Well, I think that the privacy interest in, in the first the first step. Uh, in, in, in looking at whether there's a legitimate expectation of privacy. The privacy interest arises because of the, com- the compilation coupled with the fact that the information is being collected as a condition on the exercise of a fundamental constitutional right. And then I think that we get to dissemination on the question of tailoring, which really all the cases turn upon. If we, if we look at the Whalen case, for example, where this was first recognized, the court emphasized that it really – it almost assumed without deciding that there is a privacy interest in the information that was being collected. It related to fraud and prescriptions, um, but it emphasized that. I want to go back to Judge Froder's question, because I think it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a very important one, which is what's the information that's highly sensitive? I, I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to get that, that from you. Because, you know, you go to, oh, I don't know, any store to, uh, uh, to buy beer, and they collect your date of birth. They collect your information. That's obviously tied to um, um, the Constitution as well. So, uh, in, in the Twenty-First Amendment. So, what what makes it particularly um, uh, sensitive the, the
1: the name, date of birth, address <coughs> here? It, it's it's perhaps three things put
0: together. It's the fact that the government is compiling them and putting them in one centralized location, which has been
1: recognized in precedent. Well, can and I ask you about that? Because I what's the difference between uh, compiling it for this purpose and, having, and they have to have the information for law enforcement purposes as well? Do they not? I, I, th- I think that that comes down to tailoring, Your Honor. Okay. And,
0: and I can point, I can point Your Honor, to, uh, I think there's also a different Second Amendment justification for that. So um, if, I, if I may answer both questions in turn uh, is the information that's in the databases. Um, The information, I think, is sensitive because the government collects it. It concerns the exercise of a fundamental constitutional right. It's different than information just scattered about, right? So, and and I think the precedents well recognize that. Um, It it, it also paints a detailed picture of the individual's expressive decision to exercise their Second Amendment right. Um, And, Looking at other analogs as this court did in Crawford, if we look at other federal. I know to exercise my 21st Amendment right to obtain alcohol when I go to the liquor store. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that somehow, if that is disseminated, do, do I have, is, am I being injured in some way? Perhaps I would say that's, that's, that's distinguishable from the issue that's before the court in part because the 21st Amendment is not a fundamental right and that's enumerated in the first ten. Uh, the, the first ten rights in the Constitution, um, but I also am not aware of the government compiling that information in a centralized database and, and the extent to which it is here. We know that this is very detailed um, and, and, Your Honor, I apologize. I, I was, I was <laughs> going to go back to actually, <laughs> I, I
1: recall okay, well, what I was the saying. The same information that they compile for other purposes, so I don't see how the compiling is, uh, is a, a violation of it. So to be
0: clear, Your Honor, I'm not contending that the compilation is a violation of any right. And, 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 so, and I, I, the compilation is what creates the privacy interest. That, that's what the Supreme Court's precedents have distinguished between is is showing the difference between, to Your Honor's point, about perhaps what might in the public realm and, and scattered about in court records, for example, which is something that, that the Supreme Court has referenced. Um, in isolation, they may have been public at one time or in a, in a piece, but when the government takes it, and puts it together in one record that creates a heightened privacy interest. And so, I think that this case is actually decided on the absence of tailoring.
1: The strongest authority for that position, of the compiling of, of any kind of information, uh, is uh, uh, implicates a privacy interest. What's the authority for that? That would be Department of Justice versus uh, uh,
0: Reporters Commission. Because okay. the United States Supreme Court uh, precedents, decided no reason. I'd also just point the court to the last paragraph in the Whalen decision as well, which, which recognizes this in the other cases stem from. Um, to your question about the Second Amendment, right, and how this information is collected, I think that there's, there's a distinct difference, uh, and this is also recognized in some cases discussing ETFs regulation, um, but arguably the, his, the historical basis, right, um, and the Supreme Court recognizing Heller this long-standing um, exception to the Second Amendment for, uh, for prohibited persons uh, possessing firearms. So I, I, th- I think that the textual basis uh, for the government's ability to collect information to conduct a background check or to fill, facilitate background checks is based in a different aspect of the Second Amendment, right? So you, yeah, that's my question, then what how, how is this a burden of your second amendment rights then like under you know the te- Roman says we have to look at the textual elements of the Second amendment, which is the keep and bearing arms, keep and bear arms how is, how does the fact that a third party have access to certain information burden that that protection so so I think, I think that's where when, when we get into the to the analysis of what the original meaning was right so First, we we look at the text and understand the scope of the text, and and, and I'm going to use the prohibited persons uh, example because I think it's it's related here, right? Um, In that situation, you you would just be looking at can the government ask you for this information as a condition on exercising your Second Amendment rights um, to to, it furthers their interest in, in prohibited persons not having it. The Second Amendment exempts that. I think AB 173 goes a step further where the question becomes is there a historical basis where the Second Amendment would per- permit the government that to take mean, information, to share. It. But you're skipping a step. You have to go to whether or not the conduct is being is protected by the Second Amendment. Right. And under the textual elements, and which is to keep and bear our arms, how does the the, the access uh, to the third party? How does that infringe that that conduct that's protected by the Second Amendment? Your, I think the conduct that, that is implicated here is that you, you yeah. have to look at the, the corpus okay. juris of which AB 173 forms a part, right? It, it is the entire statutory process for, for collecting the information and the reasons why that burdens the right in the first instance, the right to purchase firearms, ammunition, or get a license to concealed carry. Well, and, no, because you get this information you have to fill out and get the information no matter what, and then this, this only. Allows a third party access to that information. So, to me, this seems like there's no just no change on what the, your, your clients have to do. But, but I think the burden still so triggers Second Amendment scrutiny. Your Honor, because the burden mm-hmm. is that this information. Oh, well, what's the additional burden to your client? Is my point. Well, then then it's the disclosure mm-hmm. of the information. So what's that burden? The Second Amendment right is, is that's what I'm trying to get at. So I think I'm through the, the chilling doctrine, which we discussed, but but that 's fair. the challenge of that makes sense, but but right, if we 're not willing to and Iist, I still think that, that the burden because you can 't have this information right in the first place without exercising the, without the exercise of the second Amendment right, so the burden in the first instance is on the process that takes place in order to exercise the right. This is now a condition that has been added to that, and in part this the, the challenge with this. Is that this is such a rare retor- subject? Two minutes. You want to save some for rebuttal. I did want to save something for rebuttal. When you uh, come back, if you didn't talk to me about how Clapper doesn't foreclose your uh, arguments uh, on this chilling argument, because it seems that Clapper seems to be on point. is the court Sebastian Graves for the Attorney General. California has a serious gun violence problem, and part of the problem, as the legislature has recognized, is that too little is known about its causes, in large part because too little research has been done into that question. As part of its effort to address this shortcoming, the city enacted AB 173, confirming the authority to share a limited set of firearms data a limited set of federal research organizations for limited purposes I have a question as do, do does it does it still collect does the state still collect social security numbers I was unclear on the, in the record on this so the state never collects those numbers um, the local licensing agencies they use forms that the state sort of promulgates um, and
1: no at this point, this report form that the state has done its professional um,
0: sure duties promulgated does not include that field. But you said that that's, that's as of January, January in, correct? Yes, sir. Previously it did. So that the state never collected that. The law provides that local, li- local licensing agency. The directive authority to, to send that application form itself to the state. So that the, the state never collected it. The
1: agency's application form had that field. It was on the form. Did it get into the database? That form never made it to DOJ, Your Honor. The issuance of licenses,
0: revocations of licenses, didn't make it to DOJ, but the the actual application form, which is the Mm -hmm. only form that includes that that field, that never makes it to DOJ. So, was
1: disseminated didn't include
0: the social
1: security. Exactly.
0: To your broader questions earlier about the the sensitivity or lack thereof, this information, again, it's very clear the basic biographical information in this database that may be shared with researchers. It's not sensitive enough to write, to, to okay. implicate the Forty Amendment informational privacy right in this case. We're talking about name, birth date. Your Honor, your opinion in Phillips recently last year noted that this type of information is not the type of information, like, for example, in Norman Bledshaw or Dovey in general, that sensitive medical information, um, sexual history, that's everything. This basic biographical information does not arise, but that's something I think we even get to the, the balancing analysis on the first instance. That the, um analysis, Your Honor, and I do I take your Honor's questions. We don't think that the conduct being regulated here implicates the Keeper of to bear a direct So arms. Your, your the government's main argument is that the idea that the information will be released to the public is purely speculative, but that already happened in this didn't it? Didn't all these all this information get released to the public? So, there was a uh, data exposure incident by DOJ itself. It's important to note that AB 173 has nothing to do with that. It deals only with sharing information with other entities, which is no allegation that they've ever done anything um, that, that revealed that information to the public. Right. So, but, but if, it, if it's happened once, why is it speculative to say that it can happen again? First, your honor, again, DOJ takes data privacy very seriously and has addressed those the, the, the failings that, that led to that um, exposure incident and, again, that the institutions that have had this information, had access to that information for decades, there's an allegation that they've ever actually had any um, data exposure instance of this sort. So
1: there, there's no evidence that's on no location. So that, so that was really outside what's at stake in this case? Exactly, John. You to it, it had nothing to do with uh, the
0: dashboard exposure. That's right, Your
1: Honor. Well, so, was so
0: there an investigation of why that data was exposed? Straightly. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I, I know it sounds out but why? Do we know why? Sure, so it, it um, actually was in the, in the record. It's uh, not part of the complaint for sure, but um, in the district court, my uh, colleagues interested into the record. There's a Morrison or enforcer investigated for, uh, the exposure, and they found there was a, a combination of uh, lack of communication of policies, lack of sort of explicit policies, making clear that for the type of public-facing database, there should be uh, no personal unethical information sort of uploaded in the first instance, and, and it also appears that the that Software essentially that was being used to create this public facing dashboard. It didn't seem like there was adequate training on precisely how it could be used. So that the so, so there was no, my my question was there any essentially was there any evidence that it was intentionally exposed? No, your honor, yeah. and that was DOJ, not the research <laughs> and, um And then to the question of the chilling aspect. Uh, so I, I guess according to the complaint. The, the Do, California DOJ has each of his clients' information already and has the third-party researcher that had access to that that information already. Yes, well, largely yes, to yes. the question about if it's access to data that's housed at DOJ versus a transfer of data. It, it is a transfer of data, so it is sent from DOJ to mm-hmm. the actual receiving entity. Mm-hmm. I'll just sort of clarify that you know the AFS database is constantly updated. So it certainly could be the case that someone which is a firearm, after the last data transfer, and so that sort of new mm-hmm. data wouldn't have been already transferred. So, so their the argument are could be that there are, uh, they're chilled from updating the data. In, in, okay. So. again, we think that that wouldn't sort of provide, first, a Article Three entry to your question earlier um, about that there not being the actual harm imposed by that, um, that they're essentially avoiding exercising their rights to avoid what they perceive as a potential data risk or data leak harm or potential, you know, harm in and it of itself. And mm-hmm. then sharing. we think that those are the 3 injuries. that could rise to standing in. I in California doesn't contest that sec- the Second mm-hmm. Amendment right can be chilled, right? We should apply the same chilling uh, analysis that we applied to the First Amendment right into, you know, pre-dots of abortion right. Mm-hmm. Well, the court in San St. Newark County Gun Owners Committee said that there is no chilling um, harm outside of, and that in that case, the, the First Amendment sort of overbreadth doctrine. So, if the discourse president says there is no chilling doctrine, well, why would there be a distinction? Um, because the court has recognized that um, the, the type of First Amendment is a sort of special right and that it needs room for, for breathing mm-hmm. room. Uh, That's what it's special right. Mm-hmm. So, this is a Second Amendment a non special right. The first amendment right, as the Supreme Court has recognized, is unique in its need for a briefing room. That's If the has that that's a number of Supreme Court cases. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court ever said that there is a chilling effect for the Second Amendment? No, okay. okay. so we well, But what's the, the distinction? I don't understand. What's the distinction of why Second Amendment right, which the Supreme Court has said as a fundamental right, shouldn't be treated as a disfavored right? Why, why wouldn't it also be entitled to a chilling protection? In the case, recognized. So, can you just explain why? I think i have trying to your Honor. It's essentially that the first amendment has this, uh, as the Supreme Court has recognized, a kind of broader um, need for breathing room, almost room for breathing. That that's what the Supreme Court is saying. It's so like, like about the abortion right? right. Well I think the Supreme Court, or at least someone, I think this court, yeah, the Supreme Court has recognized a chilling uh, protection for the abortion right. So the question is sort of is there a, a role for a burden that is that separate from a direct prohibition on the right? I think to share it comes into play, and the the, the test would essentially be a meaningfully constrained um, analysis, and we don't think that any type of burden here would, would meaningfully constrain uh plaintiffs or anybody else from exercising their like Second Amendment rights. Uh, my question is basically, why would we treat the Second Amendment differently from other amendments which are protected by this chilling aspect? And, you know,
1: if you don't have answers, sort of. Well, the, what are we talking about in terms of chilling here? I thought that the chilling here is, is their subjective reaction to what's happening. Isn't, and haven't we said that that's not really chilling? Whereas the First Amendment, um, you, you have something that is objectively... Going to affect uh, everyone. That's right, Rainer. Yes. <laughs> I'll open up that answer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to come but if there are no further questions, we'd be happy to. Okay. Thank, thank you, you, Thank you.
0: with Judge Mendo's question about uh, Clapper. Um, I, I think that this really turns upon, and, and admittedly, uh, Clapper is a very different context in, in the sense that it, it I would say, it first related to the government's uh, collection of the information, um, and it related narrowly to the chilling doctrine. It didn't relate to any fundamental rights. So, to go to Judge Mendo's question. I was just asked to, uh, to my colleague here. I, I think that the incorporation doctrine the substantive due process answer that question, right? We have, besides the Second Amendment, there's the First Amendment and there needs to be abortion that are positively exercisable fundamental rights. Um, and to Judge Schroeder's point about how this expands, or the First Amendment recognizes that this applies to everybody, so does this. <laughs> it applies
1: to everybody who exercises their Second Amendment rights. Um, and, and I do think, to put
0: kind of a cherry on top of the entire analysis, uh, which, which is that this expectation of privacy exists. I want to read from the Supreme Court's opinion. Well, hold on. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't understand. the. the I, I'm, I'm not sure I understood your answer because I thought Clapper tells us that um, a that, uh, attenuated or speculative future harm is not enough for standing. I guess that's what I thought Clapper told me, and I didn't understand your answer, too. Sure. I, I think that, that I guess I was thinking I had in mind a different issue, and I didn't have Clapper in front of me, so I, had, I was going off of pure memory. Um, I, had a, I had in mind a different issue from Clapper, which was that I, I, I thought it related to the collection of the information, the potential to chill. Um, as, as far as the injury concern goes, we would say that, that the disclosure of the information to third parties, right? And I'm not speaking to the very broad public, I would say that the third party researchers are members of the public, and it's public in that sense that that disclosure of information creates the injury in and of itself. And the reason for that <laughs> is it's too wrong is that um, from the United States versus Department of Justice, excuse me, the United States Department of Justice versus Reporters Commission, Committee for Freedom of the Press at 764, the court held this is with the FBI rap sheets. The issue here is whether the compilation of otherwise hard-to-obtain information alters the privacy interests implicated by disclosure of that information. Plainly, there is a vast difference between the public records that might be found after a diligent search of courthouse files, county archives, and local police stations throughout the country, and a computerized summary located in a single House of information. So that got to the, the, the privacy interest at the at the first level of the analysis. When we get to tailoring, I think that's where there's the biggest distinction between this statute and any of the other privacy cases, which is that there is the statute pays lip service to the idea that an individual's identity should not be disclosed, but contra Every other state and federal statute dealing with compilations of information that are shared for research purposes or shared with third parties, there's absolutely no administrable mechanism to ensure that that protection, reported protection is carried out, and that's to say nothing of the very nuanced and complicated circumstances that arise when we're dealing with aggregated data. Um, We cite cite issues discussing NAFTA briefs. We cite the federal standards for that. We cite the other California state statutes, including information that is subject to AB 173, that is subject to sharing with these researchers, where the researchers have to show that they need the material identifying the individuals to complete their research projects. That's something that's completely absent here. They get all of the information from millions of people without any showing of need. Um, without any showing of how their, their research project relates to the state's interests or advances the state's interests. So, Councilor yeah. Tolenzone, if you want to start wrapping up. Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I, think that, I think that covers everything I wanted to discuss, Your Honor. I, I appreciate the extra time. Thank you. Thank you, Council. This case will be submitted, and we are in recess for this session.